Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. I do podcast episode 37. Welcome to IDoPodcast.com, where fun and inspiring relationship experts, therapists, and couples share tips and advice that will help lead you to a fulfilling and happy relationship. Let their guidance illuminate your path to happiness. Are you ready to create lasting love? And now, your hosts, Chase and Sarah. Do you have a topic that you'd like to hear more about or a relationship question you'd like answered? 
Email us at info at idopodcast.com and we'll be sure to add it to one of our upcoming episodes. We're excited to introduce our guest today, Wyatt Darling. Hi, Wyatt. Hey, nice to meet you guys. How are you doing today? I'm excellent. Thank you. What about what about you both? We are great. Excited to have you on our show today. Likewise. Wyatt Darling is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Los Angeles, California. He specializes in individual and couples therapy while also treating various sexual dysfunction and relationship concerns. He is an experienced clinician in the areas of LGBT issues, mood disorders, career aspirations, and conflicting relationships. Wyatt's goal is to guide people toward a better understanding of how to cope while dealing with challenging and painful barriers to finding success, establishing fulfilling relationships. We've given our listeners just a little overview, so take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. You know, I'm really, um, I'm really just at the end of the day, very, very passionate about what a relationship is. I've always been attracted to two people working together for one goal to make themselves better by using each other as a tool. I was obsessed with the show Mad About You, but with Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt, and if you remember yeah. that, <laughs> uh, it was it was such a good, interesting portrayal of two people who had the best dynamic as as a couple and really had real struggles, but did everything in their power to to use their strengths and weaknesses to make the relationship work. And I, it's something that I. I'm, I'm very, very passionate about and feel very fortunate that I get to do every day. Well, our topic today is the language of a healthy relationship. So let's dive right in. And why don't you tell us and our listeners what the language of a healthy relationship is? You know, I started, um, I wrote, I wrote this blog post actually on my, on my website, really just inspired by, um, getting people on board with, with the idea that not every, not every relationship, um, with meaning both parties speak, speak the same language. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was fascinating to me to see how so much communication breakdown happens because you assume that the other person should automatically know what you're thinking and feeling. And so I started conceptualizing this language of a healthy relationship as a way to really start from the ground up and really understanding that you have to do a lot of the work to make yourself be heard. And it's not the other way around. It's not that your partner should automatically know and should just understand because that's, that's the way it happens. But a relationship really is built on two people being able to understand and commit to learning what that new language is, what that other person's way of communicating and thinking and feeling so that you both can meet in the middle and start coming together without communication breakdowns. Because when you have communication breakdowns, that's when stress happens. That's when relationship fatigue happens. And that's when, when people are dissatisfied. 
in their relationships. I love the analogy that you give on your article about how relationships, the language of relationships can be difficult to learn. It's, and it, it's really like any other language when you're learning the, the grammar, punctuation, everything is complex about it. And it's sometimes it's not that easy. Absolutely. I mean, you know, most, most couples come to couples counseling and say, we, we, we don't know how to communicate. We don't, we just don't know how to communicate with each other. And, and, and I usually point out that they're communicating very well to me. I say that usually. It actually sounds like you're communicating very effectively about what you need and what you want, what you think you want, what you think you need, but that at some, at some point there, there's a breakdown and, and that really people do know how to communicate. But when you, when you put yourself in the context of a relationship it's a whole different ballgame. It's not the same type of communication you have with your friends, you have with coworkers, you have with family. It's a, it's a really different relationship that you have to study and you have to be open to those nuances. Um, and a lot of people aren't. It's just not something they have been taught. It's not something that they do on a daily basis. Yeah, and but it, it is so important to a relationship. It's just going to make it stronger. It's going to make it easier. And that's why we're excited to share this information with our listeners. One thing that you mentioned is that it's really important to remember that no one communicates effectively 100% of the time. Absolutely. I think, you know, I think one thing that I've, I've noticed um, with the couples that I treat is that you gotta, you gotta be at a place of forgiveness and maybe Maybe more than you even would want to, and forgiveness is 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 not necessarily the best word to use, but I like using it because it's a little polarized. It makes you kind of think about what it means. Um, you really have to be able to forgive those miscommunication mishaps. They're going to happen. They're normal, and um, dwelling on them in a way that, for example, um, you know when. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to give a specific example about what is actually a, a miscommunication or a mishap in communication is when someone uses a very absolute phrase like you always, or it's, it's been like this forever. And what you're really doing is you're not giving your partner the benefit of the doubt that yes, sometimes they mess up sometimes and sometimes they actually do a good job. And it freezes up the conversation to a point of saying, well, if I always do that and I've, and I've forever been this way, then, then is there even a way to move up? Is there a way to improve? Is, is, is it even worth it to try? Um, and that's just an, that's a little example of, of where most couples go astray in their communication is that they use these absolutes and it really limits your partner's ability to change and to grow and to be a little bit better when obviously anybody, anybody can approve in this area. Any, any, any relationship, any couple can, can start to speak um, this relationship language even, even better than I think most people would assume. So you've compiled a couple tips that people can use or, or couples can use when they're on the path to learning a new language. And one of those tips, the first one you mentioned, is to pay attention to what your partner needs, even if they are having a hard time asking for it. Yeah, I, I think um, 
I think I, one thing I always stress is that the fight you're having is never really about the, the, the thing that you're arguing about, that there's always something behind it. Either you're frustrated, either you are really hurt about something else or you feel disengaged or disconnected. And that's what the fight really is about. And I like to challenge my clients to think about the argument or the disagreement that you're having with your partner as not just something that needs to be won, someone needs to be right, someone needs to be wrong, but that each person in, in the argument is asking for something, regardless of what the fight is about. And so when you're paying attention to that, as, as opposed to saying, you didn't, do, you didn't do the laundry like you said you did, we're having an argument about the laundry, really what you're saying is that when you don't, when you don't do the laundry, it makes me feel as though you don't care about our home, you don't care about the things that we've set up, you don't pay attention to the fact that it really makes me feel good that you're doing those things for me. That's really what the argument is about. That's really what the person is saying. And so to do that work for your partner, to really start thinking, what is, what is she really saying? It's really not about the laundry. It's about the fact that she feels disregarded or, or a little bit um, dismissed emotionally because the laundry means more than just doing the laundry, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's underlying issues that are masked, and, and if you are communicating well, you're directly addressing them. But it's when there's bad, poor communication, it seems like that process is circumvented, and those feelings are suppressed, and they build up, and they result in conflict. That's exactly right. Another thing you talk about is patience in communication. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it may actually seem quite rudimentary, right, to just say, you know, have have a little more patience. But um, I also emphasize that patience needs to go hand in hand with empathy. And when you're able to do that, have patience in an empathic way, that really what you're doing is you're you're just, you're trying to understand where the other person is coming from. And patience is your greatest tool in 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 de-escalating any conflict. I mean, no matter what, you're going to be able, you're going to get into a fight. You're going to get in some type of disagreement into a challenging moment with your partner. But patience comes in and you find that when patience and empathy are present, even if you're not having a good time and what you're talking about and it feels prickly and, and you don't want to be there and you're angry, that the perspective of really listening really being true to what your relationship is, that you're not only respecting your partner in a way that is giving them the benefit of the doubt, but you're also putting yourself in a situation that is not going to be escalated. It's not gonna it's not gonna increase her feelings. You're gonna be at a place of of understanding, which I, I think can be, can, you know, can be something that you remind yourself every day, every, every day that without, without patience, you're, you're not going to be able to get through a conflict. Well, that's great advice. And the next tip that you have is to build a tolerance for strong emotions. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I, I frequently see clients that, um, 
for whatever reason, feel as though if there's an angry gesture, if there's a sound that causes you to think, oh, my, my partner is really upset or, you know, there's maybe even a, you know, a, a, a slamming of, you know, a, a cupboard in the kitchen that it sets the other person to a place of high alert. And at that point, when you're already on guard and you're already thinking, wow, my partner is so angry right now, like that this it puts me in a really vulnerable and sensitive situation that you're, you're really not in a place where you can problem solve and you have to be able to problem solve to be in a relationship. You have to be able to problem solve. And in order to do that, you have to understand what strong emotions are and that they're, they're a tool, even if they don't feel good, that just because your partner expresses something that's angry or even periods of, of anxiety or depression, that that doesn't throw you off your game, that you can say, okay, I'm, I'm an adult. I'm also a human being. These feelings of anger, these feelings of hurt and sadness, those are normal human emotions and I don't need to shy away from them. And I don't need that to throw me off my game. And I don't need that to put me in a place where I can't problem solve. And so um, part of, you know, part of couples counseling is de-escalating and, and deconstructing those strong emotions. Because when you get into a pattern where your partner gets upset, they appear angry and you freeze up, no problem solving is going to happen. It's just going to be at a standstill. And so getting over that period of saying, okay, I need to do this hard work. I need to really, I need to, I need to really face this like an adult and say, it's okay that my partner is angry. It's okay. My partner's sad. It's okay. My partner is expressing a human emotion. It's normal. It's going to happen, but that doesn't need to throw me off. And I don't need to get caught up in the escalation of it. I can allow my partner to feel that way. And I can still be able to problem solve in a way that is effective for both of us. You mentioned that you need to recognize when it's good to problem solve, but then also when we just need to listen. So when would it be a time that we just need to listen and not work on problem solving? I think I think this is more of a of a nuance to de- depending on who your partner is and how your relationship is. I mean, a big part of I've seen a big part of um, this miscommunication comes in where you have someone saying, listen, I don't, I don't need you to solve this problem for me. I just need you to listen. Mm -hmm. I just need you to say, wow. Yeah. Talk to me about this. Okay. Like, great. You're upset. You're angry. There's nothing I can do about it, but I want to be here and support you. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure if this happened to either of you, but it is really frustrating when you come to someone and you say, Hey, I am just so upset. This is what happened. And the person automatically says, okay, well, this is what you need to do to fix it. And you say, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I need to talk to somebody. I need to, I just, you're my partner. I need you to be empathic and listen and say that you're with me and you understand me. And so, yeah, being, being able to know how to do that. And, and it's also, again, specific to what your partner usually needs, what they usually um, expect from you and checking in with that and knowing that pattern is, is going to be really, really use, useful because at the end of the day, when, when someone wants to just go in and problem solve without actually listening to you, you know, you, you feel dismissed. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't, doesn't actually help your communication. Yeah, sometimes listening is, is just as much of a part of communication as speaking. Absolutely. And kind of along those same lines is 
important to recognize that communication happens regardless of if your mouth is moving or not. Yeah, I, I, I you know, most most of our troubling communication moments, our our, our troubling interactions that are challenging in relationships happen because of some type of a gesture that appears to be like an eye roll that is this intense facial expression that shows dissatisfaction or disapproval. And that can send someone to in a, in a tailspin of either feeling upset about that or feeling disrespected about that. And so I'm not saying that there's not that you should not act in that way. That's authentic in that moment you did, that, you know, you should avoid rolling your eyes or you should avoid having um, a facial expression that's unsavory. But what I am saying is that there needs to be more loving, tender gestures. There need there. If, if you're going to throw in the, the possibility that, you know, in any given moment, you're going to, to, to be able to, to just kind of have your, your angry face that, that needs to be offset as well as much as you possibly can with body language that conveys a sense of safety. Hmm. And that, that means that when you're, when you have a moment where you're able to think about it, and I've even had couples where I've said this to what, to the other partner, listen, you, you have a, you have a phone with it, with a timer on it and you need to use it and you need to set an appointment where that day in that moment, you send some sort of text. If you're with your partner, you just put your hand on your partner's hand and you caress your partner in a way that feels loving and genuine. And what that does is it creates a sense of safety, but it also creates a sense of cohesion. And we often forget that we, we go through moments where it's easy. It's easier for us to, you know, to maybe just say, I love you in a way that feels like you're rattling off, you know, a laundry list. Like, hey, I love you. But that those gestures mean a lot more. Those tender caresses really are, are a way to, to fuse this attunement that, that couples need just based off the fact that they're in the same room and they don't need to talk, but they are communicating based on how they feel inside. And that really, it really is... Um, a huge, a huge gesture that means sometimes even more than what you can say verbally. We spoke with another expert, and I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was really high. Some are like I think eighty percent or eighty-five percent of communication is actually nonverbal um, versus yeah. verbal. So it it goes to show you how important uh, nonverbal communication really is. It's it's very very true. What do you find is the most common reason couples struggle in their relationship? I, I really believe in a healthy, in, intimate life. And, I, and you, can, you can read intimacy as, um, again, the physical gestures of cuddling, of holding hands, but also of, of the frequency and the enjoyment of, of of sex, that sex is the greatest tool for connection and for cohesion and that relationships thrive because the couple is willing to do the time to be intimate with each other. And intimacy happens on a lot of levels. It can happen 
when you're just holding hands in a movie theater or you're in the grocery store and you're looking at your partner in the eyes for, for just a couple seconds and letting them know that you appreciate them. Those are moments that are going to be the greatest benefit to, to your connection. And a lot of people come together and, and start dating and, and get engaged and get married because they have a great connection. But connection needs to be kept up like you, you are able to keep up appointments with your car and make sure you get it well changed and you, you get it tuned up. It's so important that you, that you allow yourself to feel safe in your partner's presence physically and that really fine-tuning what your sexual relationship is is going to be the greatest, the greatest asset to your ability to consistently feel connected, no matter what, no matter what's happening with family, with job, with you know, schoolwork, with kids, that you, you have that home base. It also needs to be a priority. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there, there is a lot to be said about couples who can, can schedule things, schedule moments of, of intimacy, of dates, of sex, that you're able to, to do it because it's a priority. And you, you know, you talk to a lot of couples who have been together longer than, you know, 30 years and they say, they say, yeah, it gets really, really tough to just find moments to do it where it's just, you know, serendipitously a perfect moment. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to to schedule and make make your sex life a priority. Everything we talked about with communication can apply to this because being in touch physically is a byproduct of being connected emotionally. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think... You know, I think when you when you really get down to what you do on a daily basis, I mean, most couples get very distracted, right? I mean, you yeah. have a lot to do. You have work. You have to go to the grocery store. You have to take care of your yard and your car or whatnot. And there's, there's even a thousand more things in your day. And the physical intimacy is a big, at least in the work that I've done, I can see that is a big indicator of the cohesion that exists between a couple, yeah. the, the sacrifice that a couple is willing to make to make it a priority and to be engaged in that person. I mean, the greatest thing about sex is that to really be present with sex, you have, you can't be distracted. And so to have that time, even if it's just 10 minutes with your partner, that that is undivided attention that you're giving to your partner. Mm-hmm. And what greater way to have a relationship than to at least set aside that time in, in such a hectic world that your partner feels like you're giving that time to them because you care that much about them. Now we are going into the his and her round where Sarah and I each ask a question that's on our minds. Sarah's up first. All right. Toward the beginning of the interview, you mentioned how arguments and confrontations or conflicts, usually you're not arguing actually about whatever it is you're talking about, but there's usually an underlying issue. If you're in an argument with your partner or your spouse and you you know that there's an underlying issue, but you don't really know what it is, do you have any good tips to address it or, or possibly bring up what that issue is to talk about it? Yeah, I think, 
you know, I think it can get a little annoying if in the moment you're, you know, you're derailing yourself and you're saying, well, let's not really argue about this because I, I want to actually know what this argument is about. I, I think it's a tool that can be used for some couples, but some couples find it as a distraction and find even more of an annoyance. And so what I'm mostly referring to is that there usually is a pattern with someone, with your partner, and that you can find that most arguments are about that one thing, that that person usually feels like either their partner just doesn't listen to them and that's why they're arguing about who's going to clean the shower or that the the partner feels like, oh, wow, this person is just constantly nagging me and that's why they're arguing about you know, who's, who's making dinner. And so if you pay attention to the patterns, which is not easy to do in the moment of the, of the argument, but if you look through the course of the day and the week and the month, you start to notice what most arguments are about. If you're perceptive enough and if you do the work to get to that place where you can be that introspective. Awesome. Well, that is great advice for us and our listeners. My question goes to the point of recognizing that no one communicates perfectly 100% of the time. So to someone that's trying to work on their communication, and specifically ourselves, Sarah and I, since doing this podcast is something that comes up time and time again, communication, and so we've made a lot more of a conscious effort to work on it. But when... In, in recognizing no one's perfect 100% of the time, but when you're working on it, you have to kind of point out the the miscommunications, I, I feel like. So how do you balance that? Well, a lot a lot can happen. There's a, there's a phrase I like to use, which is called a rupture and repair. And the success of a relationship depends on how much someone is able to repair the rupture. Ruptures are going to happen no matter what but a lot of couples go through their lives rupturing and not repairing. And so when you get into a situation where there's been a rupture, where there's been an argument about something and it be something small or something big, the repair has to be adequate for that rupture in order to move on emotionally and, and cohesively. So, so when you're talking about communication, really what we're saying is that you have to be able to repair and this means after the argument has already de-escalated, you have to be able to repair what that was. And you have to say, I wonder why, I wonder why I let the argument drag on so long. I wonder why I wasn't able to stop it when I did, or I wonder why I didn't communicate the way I wanted to. And this is a huge blow to people's pride when, he, when they say to their partner, hey, where am I not a good communicator? Like, just tell me where you feel like I don't communicate well enough. It's really, really hard to do because you don't want your partner to be right about that right. <laughs> because right. it's showing your weak side. It's also showing you that they're going to be able to win an argument based on the fact that they already know where you're not good at communicating. But what that does is it says to you, okay, show me where I'm not a good communicator. And if you can see that and you can agree with that, then you can say, okay, then help me work on it. And what are the things you need me to do? And when you, after the, the rupture happens and you're ready to repair what happened, you can say, where are the points? And you can even do this by yourself, not necessarily with your partner, but the best thing to do is with your partner is to say, where could I have implemented that a little bit more? Where, where, where should I have um, made my weakness my strength? Where, where did I kind of lose, miss the mark and, and, and where I should have um, employed that particular 
um, communication uh, mishap. And when you start doing that habit of repairing in a way that's saying, hey, let's talk about this so it doesn't happen again, then you're in a really, really good place because you should never have a rupture without a repair. And if you're repairing, then it's unlikely that you're going to be having the same argument over and over again. Uh-huh. Oh, that's, that's great advice that I know we'll be able to apply to our relationship. And hopefully uh, listeners out there can, can take some of that home. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, now it's time for our favorite part of the interview, the lasting love round. We'll ask you a series of questions, and you'll respond with great information to help set the foundation for a lasting relationship. We love it. Our listeners love it. So, Wyatt, are you ready to help us build lasting love? I am. All right. What's one thing couples can do on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? Have sex. All right. Daily. (laughs) Daily. Daily. Is is there a book or resource you could recommend for couples? I really love the I really love the book The Five Love Languages. Yeah. And I don't know if that's been recommended before, but it's it's just a basis of being able to to communicate. Maybe it's on my mind cuz we're talking about communication, but that's definitely a great resource. Yes, um, it's been recommended a, a bunch of times, and it is a great book. So we'll have that book listed on your show notes page at idopodcast.com, and our listeners know to go there to find your awesome recommendation. We're getting married this year. Is there any advice you would give engaged couples or newlyweds? Set goals. I really believe in clear, concrete, measurable goals. And what I mean by that is saying, first recognizing that if you set a goal, then you have to complete it. And a goal can be anything from making sure that you go to the grocery store together. Mm-hmm. Weekly goal. You could have a monthly goal of saying, in this month, we're going to make sure that we, we together have this activity of painting the second bedroom. And you can also say that Yearly goals are important, too. You can say, what's our goal as a couple this year? We want to be able to do this together as a couple to be able to communicate better. So actually, what we're going to do is we're going to read this specific book together, and that's going to be our goal for this year. I think when you set goals together and you're able, even if they're small, even if they're inconsequential, you're you're able to build a little bit more connection, a little bit more cohesion together. I love that. I'm a big goal person in general with work and in life in general. So I think putting goals toward your relationship is great advice. Excellent. If you could give just one single piece of advice for a successful relationship, what would it be? It would be to start yourself on a path of recognizing that no matter what you're feeling, it's no one else's fault that even if you're feeling hurt, even if you're feeling upset, that no one can make you feel a certain way. You can choose to feel that way based on someone else's actions, and you can choose that emotion based on the implication that someone did something to you or or, um, suggested a certain feeling, but that when you start to realize that only you can make yourself feel a certain way, and only you can decide how you want to feel, 
it really sets yourself up for the responsibility of fixing what that emotion is. And even if you need to do that with your partner and say, hey, I, you know, this, this certain emotion came up when you said this. I want to rectify it. I don't want to feel this way based on what you said. But I want to be able to break this pattern of feeling like my feelings are hurt. And it's a really hard, challenging thing to do, which I spend a lot of time on when I, when I work with couples. But it's a really useful tool when you work with your partner throughout your whole life by saying, okay, I'm not going to allow this person to have power over my emotions. I'm going to let them know that what they did caused me to choose to feel a certain way, but I'm not going to make someone in charge of my emotions. I'm not going to give someone the power over my emotions, but I'm going to be responsible for what I feel and for what I think. I love it. It's like uh, Pharrell's got the song Happy. A lot of you have probably heard it, our listeners, but he says happiness is a choice in the chorus and, and it's like it, the number one song in the world and and it's so true it is, it is awesome well why we've really enjoyed hearing all the advice you've given us and our listeners today so let's finish by having you tell our listeners where they can find you and then we'll say goodbye great so i am um available on my website at wyattdarling.com and i also have a twitter page at darling wyatt and, um, if, you know, if you want to write me an email through my website, that's fine. But I also um, receive emails through wyattdarling at gmail.com. Where our listeners can find all the information and links of today's episode on idopodcast.com. Go to the podcast tab and you'll be in the archives. And thank you so much for all the generous knowledge and for taking the time to come on our show today. Thanks you both. Really best of luck. I, I think it's um, an amazing venture that you're going through and you, you, know, you deserve all the, the love that you're giving. Are you interested in learning five ways to improve your relationship on a daily basis? How about five tips for engaged couples or newlyweds? This information and more is our free gift to you when you go to idopodcast.com and subscribe to our mailing list. Thank you so much for joining us today on I Do Podcast. Head on over to idopodcast.com for full recaps of every show, relationship resources, tips, and advice. Your path to a successful and lasting relationship awaits you. Are you ready to create lasting love? listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com